Hello and welcome to episode two of Midia's short second season of podcasts entitled Beyond Consumption, A New Era for Entertainment. I'm Keith Jopling, Consulting Director for Midia. I'm here with Shristi Das. Hi, Shristi. Hello. And Chris Thakra. Hello, Chris. Hi. Great, you're both there. Fantastic. We are, we're, we're doing well already. We made so, it. <laughs> you made it. So we're going to talk about the commodification of content. So the streaming economy has enabled the age of access, we know that, and perhaps the age of excess, whereby premium content, particularly music and television, is so much more available. Now, whether via an amazing value subscription, an ad-funded service, or a social platform, we can find just about anything up to a point. Uh, Not only that, but we can create just about anything, and many more creators do exactly that, whether it be 1,500 original shows that have been created so far on Netflix, Uh, One of the 65,000 tracks uploaded daily onto Spotify or one of the 1 billion videos currently available on TikTok. We can consume and we can create. Uh, And there's always more podcasts if you've got more time at the end of that. So the issue here is that we only have so many hours in the day to consume all this stuff. And it does start to feel a bit like stuff as opposed to culture. Is it all too much? What are the implications for creators, consumers, and the entertainment industries and platforms that bring them together? What are the opportunities for new content creators, new curation, and new distribution players and strategies? That's what we're going to be discussing. I was going to start with the fact that, having said all that, we've got a finite amount of time and we can't invent time. Actually, when I stopped to think about it, 2020 and so far in 2021 has been completely unique because we have been handed more time by the pandemic. Now, that's come with a whole bunch of other problems and issues we'd rather not have. But we measured it in in one of our earlier surveys that people have 12% more entertainment time on their hands during the pandemic. So I'll start with that is, is, uh, I mean, just sort of bring a personal element into it. Shrishti, have you found you've had more time and what have you been doing with it? Uh, definitely a lot more um, time, mostly because I live in India and I live in Mumbai, which is commute time for a kilometer could be anything from 20 minutes to an hour. And I've had all that time to myself. So I think before the pandemic, I would rewatch the same show or the same video and just listen to the same songs over and over again because I was so tired after a long day of work. But during the pandemic, I found myself looking for more new content. Um, so I found like a lot of French pop that I really like now. And I found a platform called Mubi where... Um, They have curated art films, um, which has been one of the things I've been really interested in. And I found a whole new world on YouTube, which stemmed from the fact that I was watching a lot of cooking videos. And that just led to a bunch of other stylists and just a lot of other people um, on the like just I realized that there's a new world and I don't have to keep watching Star Wars and Harry Potter and The Office over and over again. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so you've done quite a lot, and a lot of it's been 
new stuff, which is which is great. And movie actually is really interesting because it's been around for many many years. So we might come on to that in, in a bit. Chris, how about you? What have you done with all your extra entertainment and creation time? I think it's quite similar to Shristi in some respects, in that my commute went away as well, and. I was actually listening to a lot of new music on my commute. So for a while, that discovery of new music went away. But also my community in live music, open mics around here, that went away as well. And I think I dealt with that by practicing and playing more music and also creating a lot more too. And I think especially the state of plugins right now, because it's been a while since I've done anything remotely close to mixing. Mm. And when I started looking into what could be done by a lot of plugins like Isotope and like their Neutron platform, and it's just accelerated massively since when I last tried to mix. And it's just so e- so much easier, so much more enjoyable. Like it's a lot more fun to make music now uh, if you're doing it by yourself. And so I think that's probably been one of the biggest changes. And then again with Trishti, I've been actively seeking a lot more stuff, found a lot more new artists some that I've become quite big fans of. Uh, give a shout out to Nayana IZ and Katsuo, are two rappers who I just <laughs> have just gone all in on. I just love them to bits. And I think it's given me, I'm not just looking at what's come out on sort of release radar on Spotify. Like I've actually just gone out onto the wild west of the internet and started hunting for new music. Mm. Yeah, it's great. It, it... It is interesting. I mean, I it's great to hear that you've been creating more. And I suppose, Shristi, with cooking, you've been creating more as well. I, I'm still staring at my two guitars on the wall. I haven't taken them off the wall since the pandemic started. So I've got a long way to catch up. The first question I want to really pose to you guys, and then we'll have a chat through it, is I'm a lot older than you two. So if I start to um, dive into or, or fall into the trap of all modern life is rubbish, you can you can put me straight. But one of the things that has always, I think, stood the test of time is quality over quantity. We still talk about it now, right? Less is more. Where does that maxim even stand to to mean anything in today's entertainment and content crammed world Shristi what do you think I mean I definitely don't think less is more because you started with all these amazing stats on how much content we have coming on to the multiple different content platforms that we already have and for me personally I think that there's been a lot of content and I think it's a general trend and I and I happened to read this book when I was at uni called the paradox of choice by Barry Schwartz where Mm. he and and this is actually something that my dad used to um, sort of poke at me and my brother when we were young is he'd say that you guys have too many things and so you just keep using everything because you don't know how to select um, which one works best for which sort of opportunity or which time and I think that's true I think when I go on Netflix I'm so confused because it's just the universe of options out there for me. And sometimes I might go in thinking I want to watch a rom-com, but then I'll see like a sci-fi thing and be like, hey, that might be interesting. But then what? Then think about it and say, no, maybe, let me scroll down and find something else. And by the end of it, I'm just tired before I've even 
actually consumed any content. You know, that's just Netflix. And we have Disney Plus and we have Amazon. And we have, I mean, in India, we have a bunch of local players. And it's just crazy to think that there's so much content coming on every single mm-hmm. day. And I think Netflix has about 70 big budget movies coming out this year, which is also going to be catering to a different bunch of audiences. So it's um, it's a lot, but I think we really need to find a way to be able to navigate through it so it doesn't exhaust us before we've um, actually consumed real content. Yeah, yeah. You, you've raised a couple of points there actually i mean first of all the dead time i i call it on netflix which is incredibly frustrating trying to find something to watch and then trading off other types of content but i'll I'll come on to both of those after putting the same question to chris well i think shristi is spot on about the navigation issue because yeah there's no doubt that there is just more and more content being made more and more channels to be consuming it and In theory, there is so much out there that there should be absolutely zero excuse for anyone to be consuming something that isn't relevant or enjoyable for them. Because with the volume, you know, there should be something for everyone. And this is where the algorithms and curation come in to try and make sure that you get what you need, you get what you want. And I say trying because I think there are probably some that do it better than others. And I think that's why TikTok has risen so highly, especially among 16 to 24 year olds who in the US, two years ago, there were only 2% of that demographic were using TikTok. And that's risen to 43% in two years. So that's a massive rise of what I've heard been described as an all killer, no filler kind of platform, <laughs> where it's, it condenses the quality and it gives you the best bits that you need, and it gives it to you at scale. So you're always getting just the good stuff. But on the flip side of that, you've got quality in the process and the experience, not necessarily the output. But there's no need to be too in-depth with the creativity on TikTok. It is just a mm. like the duet function, for instance. It's creation, but it's also a form of entertainment within itself. And there's almost two trillion views of hashtag duet videos on TikTok, which is just a monstrous number. And it's just a call and response, almost like the beginning of like a multi-track creation, especially now that they're starting to stitch duets together. It's basically like multi-track, but on social media. And now you've got Snapchat and Instagram copying this process as well. And so there's that balance between, yes, we want quality, but what even is that? Is quality the actual content or the entertainment of engaging and the relationship with the content. Yeah, that, that, right. Okay, so we're, we're in deep already because you've been yeah. a couple of points to what, to what Shristi's raised there. But I want to start with, um, I want to do a bit of Netflix bashing because I've, <laughs> I've got a schizophrenic relationship with Netflix personally, but everybody I talk to has this one issue with Netflix and it multiplies if you're trying to watch anything cross-generational as a family. You know, you find you, it's really hard for all of the original content and, you know, all the movies and stuff. Um, it's really hard to find something decent to watch. It takes a long time. Why hasn't Netflix solved this? I feel like they might be trying because um, the content that they're, the Netflix originals, I think 
um, they're they're gain uh, to a very large extent. I would say that they're quite game changing content, and it's it's really fresh, it's really new, and I think that's what makes um, Netflix as powerful as it is. Like their original content, of course, they have a lot of other content on there as well. But when you're watching a Netflix originals, you know it's a Netflix originals. It's much more up to date with the cultural trends in the world. You know, there's sex education, which was, you know, it's it's not something you wouldn't be talking about sexual orientation or something as openly today as you would some time ago. And it's just, it's really refreshing. And there's Moxie and there's a lot of other different content, which is just culturally much better you have rom-coms that don't have two white people in it um you have you know localized content like a suitable boy which is you know an indian book has been created in such a way that it's quite appropriate for to a very large extent appropriate for you know it touches upon the indian culture but in a way that's globally acceptable so i think netflix is trying to do that with their own um content and it's I do find that it's much easier to navigate through Netflix originals compared to navigate yeah. through all the other content. But yeah, yeah, it, it is for sure. It, it is for sure. But it, that dead time for me is still a problem to be solved. And I wonder about whether it's just the difference in content because, you know, I sometimes think about what Netflix could learn from Spotify and what Spotify could learn from Netflix. And one of the things that Netflix doesn't do as well as Spotify is just get you consuming stuff that you want to consume from the second that you're on there. You, you've got this problem of having to try and find it. But it might be that that's just the way it is with video um, because you're going to commit, you know, you know you're going to commit half an hour, an hour, maybe an hour and a half. So you want it's a more careful choice in a way. And I, I do agree. I think they're very good, Netflix. Uh, reflecting culture diversity and I think ironically they're tr- sort of trying to get people to discover their content through uh, the equivalent of the water cooler moment it's like word of mouth but then there's so much stuff available that word of mouth doesn't quite work in the way that it used to where we all converged around you know a, a cultural moment Chris do you have the dead, dead time problem on Netflix or do you go straight to is it does it deliver straight to you know you what you need i think there's sometimes it does i rarely am browsing netflix for something to watch it'll be i've heard of something and i'll go straight to it or if i am on netflix and it gets to a point where i think i'm not quite sure what to watch i'll just jump over to amazon prime and go through the exact same process and probably (laughs) settle on there and yeah you know there is that element of platform jumping which can only exist on SVOD. You would never do that with something like Spotify. Although having said that, there are there is a lot of music on YouTube that isn't available on Spotify or Apple Music uh, because it's almost like lost content, you know, from like City Pop in Japan. Um, there's a lot of stuff like across the world. There's a lot of like remix culture on YouTube as well that you're just not going to get on Spotify. Maybe in that sense, I would jump from Spotify to YouTube. But it's very different in SVOD where they've got a lot more exclusive content. I'm not, I don't think I have the same patience as you, Shrishti, to browse all the way through down to the end. It's, I'm, 
know what I'm going for. And if it's not there, then I'll just jump over to somewhere else or just not watch Netflix. <laughs> I find myself um, giving up um, sometimes too, which I'd go from like a video streaming platform to like cooking food. Um, so just completely away. But yeah, I feel you. Ah, well, that's interesting because, you know, as Reed Hastings says, his competition isn't Amazon or YouTube. It is a glass of wine. So in your case, Rishti, you just you, you would actually bounce off Netflix, go get a glass of wine and cook some food. So that's that's a message to read. <laughs> uh, I think they've got a I, th- I think they've got to work at it. But I think um, to be fair, that sort of cultural somebody at Netflix is doing a great job of, of as we've said, of reflecting culture, diverse audiences, and at least creating the content that was there before, that that wasn't there before, rather for those audiences, and they, they've had a lot of success with that. And you know, Moxie's a great example. I think some of the local content, uh, like you know, surfacing programs like Lupin, which is a thriller made in France. Uh, I am watching Stiesel at the moment, which is just amazing. Um, and, you know, I never thought I would be watching a program about, you know, Orthodox Jews in in uh, in Tel Aviv, but there you go. Uh, it's absolutely gripping. So I want to just come back to one of the things your dad mentioned, actually, Trishti, which is, you know, you don't know how to select. I think one of the things I've found that I've done is traded off entire content types Principally, I'm a music person. I like my films and TV as well. But I like books, but I've had to kind of park books. Uh, and that's actually the one thing I've, I've been able to bring back into my life with the, with the extra time of the pandemic. Do you think that's, uh, that's a thing? Have you found yourselves, or have we seen in the trends, people kind of focusing or narrowing down the paradox of choice by just saying, you know what, I'd love to get into gaming, but I'm... I'm just, I don't have the time. Or I love to get into sport, but I don't have the time. And focusing on one content type. Do you think that's the thing? Yeah, I feel like gaming's definitely been the talk of the pandemic. Um, I I just have so many friends who bought PlayStations over the pandemic, which is ridiculous. And the price mm. dropped quite a bit. Games started to get cheaper. Um, I think they were giving out a couple of free games. For, for me personally, I've just been waiting to get my hands on a PS5. I'm not a gamer. I've never been one. Um, but I'm like, why not? Might as well give it a try now because I don't know once the pandemic's over. Don't know when that is, but will I have the time again? So it's, it's nice mm. to experience something new. Um, I also, we got um, Audible subscriptions free for a bit and I did... I feel like I can't read a book anymore as much as, um, at least as much as I used to. So the audiobooks were really fun. Um, it was an interesting way to listen to things and do, and also like look at my phone, but also like actively listen. So that was, um, I think that was definitely something that I personally did. And I saw a couple of people around, but I think gaming was definitely one. Sports went off for a while. So I think that, might have not worked too well in the favor of sports, but yeah, well, I think sport has has been a bit of a net loser. But I don't want to. Um, yeah, I think people have been watching sport. I know that, but some people have been watching more. But it feels like everybody's been a net gainer because there's been more podcasts, 
Um, I think there's been slightly more music. There's certainly been an uptick in Netflix, gaming as well, audio books as well, and even like competitive reading. So I want to ask this question. I want to maybe throw this onto the creation side. And I'll start with you, Chris, because you are a creator. You've used the pandemic to create music. So with all of the massive increase in content that we've seen across you know, every single form of entertainment, this is bad for creators in a sense, isn't it? Because it's just ultra competitive. How do you find an audience? To be honest, I don't think having an audience is the point anymore. Not for me anyways. I don't make music with the aim of it being like, oh, you know, I've got to be building an audience and I've got to try to treat it as a career because it's a lot of effort. You know, I've been there before and I've given it a go. And when you realize, you know, you've got to have so much respect for artists and especially independent artists for the grind that it takes to really start even just building any kind of audience with releasing music. And so, you know, it's tough, but I'm not going to let that stop me from creating, especially now that creating is easier than ever. It wasn't necessarily the pandemic happened and I had this time and I started creating. I think especially when it really took off for me has probably been the past couple of months because that was when the NFL ended, you know, from August until the first week of February. My Sunday night was always American football and every Thursday that would be it and I would be following all of the news and punditry on the side as well and it just really kind of took over my brain and when that kind of ended it was almost like oh what what do I do with that time now and that's when I thought well I've been playing piano a lot just to wind down just to relax my mind um, because it's been much needed this past year and I thought well why don't I've got the recording equipment and everything why don't I just start playing more and recording it and just get into beat making get on splice, just grab some samples, just play around with it. It's just a form of play, really, at the end of the day, like well, gaming. It, it, it is, but in a way, you're you're part of the problem for someone wanting to make a living <laughs> from music, right? Because they're having to compete now with you, the kind of creating for pleasure. And if you're mixing, you'll be mastering, and now you, soon you'll be uploading stuff onto Spotify uh, and competing for, for a space on playlists. I'm just thinking where... Where do creators benefit from all of this massive ultra competition that we're seeing now that everything's available to access? Shristi, do you have some thoughts on on this? Yeah, I actually do. I I feel like over the pandemic, I found a lot of my friends who made music and I had no idea that they did. Um, And a lot of other people who were releasing a lot of music, they sort of Because I had more time to look, I also found more time. And I'm someone who's never a creator, always a consumer. Um, And I found myself going on to Twitch, which till before I always thought was a gaming platform, and House Party and just a lot of other different applications where I was looking for music. And I wouldn't say that I'm much of a, a discoverer anymore. So it was it was really nice just to see that there are so many new people and some of them clicked, some of them clicked with somebody else. And I just feel like it's just the time for 
creators to create and be their authentic selves and just share it with everyone through their social platforms, at least now while the pandemic is still on, because people are looking for content, even if they don't know that they are. And that's, um, Mm. I think this is a hopeful time for them to just find people who find them organically without any marketing campaign or someone else pushing their music or any of that because the world just has enough people to like you'll find an audience somewhere and it's just about sort of putting your content out and just finding those people well yeah i mean i think i think you're right i think that maybe that's part of the solution is that we've got the the whole world as a potential audience which is something that we didn't have before because you were saying before when we were talking about discovering you know, in your case, like French pop. In my case, you know, I've been listening to more um, African music, more Cuban music. It's easier to find the authentic music from that place. And I've yet to discover to dive into Bollywood, but you guys are going to help me do that. Chris, let's switch this to the consumer, though. We're spending a lot of time scrolling. Music kind of feels like it's edging into the background. Yeah, it might be there throughout every moment of our life or whatever as a soundtrack. But I also worry, because I'm a kind of older, modern life is rubbish type guy, um, I worry about the amount of focus and whether we're kind of finding this stuff enriching. So do, do you think that's an issue for consumers? Because we've got you know limited attention spans, we... Uh, we we know there's been research on you know effects on the brain and so on, but do you think we're perhaps just enjoying stuff a little bit less, or um, do you do you feel like that's balanced out by what's available? I think there's always a choice, and you can see that from last year. There's what 90 million pounds in vinyl sales, which is the highest it's been since the 80s um, in the UK. Yeah. Cassette sales doubling as well. That's something which. People are obviously going to that more and more, I think, in response to the culture of streaming. And it is because there are people who do still value music as a product, as an experience, as something that's tangible and has meaning, as opposed to something that is just put on in the background. But even having said that with music in the background, I really love what Headspace is doing and Calm as well, where they could easily just create this nice ambient music for you working or sleeping. But they've gotten real artists and they're curating these artists. You know, they're bringing the likes of Madlib on to just really deliver excellent music that is right for the kind of context that exists within those apps. And yes, it's in the background, but so is Beyonce maybe on Peloton. But she's putting herself, these supposedly background platforms are bringing artists into the forefront even if their music might not be well that's interesting because what part of what you're saying there is artists are uh, in the case of Beyonce you know very successfully using all of these different platforms and content types to tell their story um, or tell a story differently across those platforms which is I think something that's very cool. And I think if they're as a creator, if you're not taking the opportunity to do that, 
so to, to look at your next creative project. So, hey, it might be a book, it might be an album, it might be a documentary, but how are you going to tell that story across the core platform that will be the home for that content, but then everything else as well? And there's a kind of whole pre, during, and post lifespan of that story and ways to continue it. So I think that's a really interesting point. The other thing you you brought up there was vinyl, of course. And some of the, um, I mean, what's, what's happened over the last sort of 18 months has, has seen massive changes for, um, let's say, niche distribution platforms. So I want to mention Bandcamp, for example, has been around since whatever, 2008, 2009, as long as Spotify, going year by year gently, and then this year spiking hugely and becoming very important, particularly with its sort of um, Bandcamp Fridays, as a source of income and audience and connection between artists and fans. And Shristi, you mentioned Mubi before. So again, Mubi's been around for 14 years. I've dipped in now and again over time, but apparently had a huge growth year in 2020, bringing, I guess, all the films you can't get on Netflix, right? So is this a kind of a golden era for niche distribution players and curation, do you think? Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, I, I do kind of agree that to some extent, we, we're not purely enjoying the time that we have. And that's because we're sitting and doing everything at home. But I remember a time where watching Netflix at home was just, oh, my God, that's just what I'm looking forward to do. So I'm, I'm sure that's going to change back. But the thing about movie is that they're they're giving you this digital platform and it's they only have 30 movies on their platform at a time and every movie stays for 30 days. So you also have the fear of missing out because you might not find this content anywhere else, which I think is really cool. The Indian version has some really old, amazing Bollywood movies, which I just wouldn't find um, anywhere, really artistic movies. Um, so really um, always looking forward to that. In fact, last month they celebrated old Indian Bollywood women and I'm a feminist. So for me, that was just, you know, we don't give enough credit to our female um, actors so much. So I think sort of on the same line of Netflix, giving the cultural importance to it. And there's just movies from all over the world, um, subtitles. But the cool thing about it as well is they have a movie go, which is every month they give you a free ticket to watch a movie in a movie theater that they've curated. Of course, in the pandemic, that might not have worked too well, but I'm sure as soon as lockdowns are lifted again, people are definitely going to go to movie theaters. So it gives you the experience of one, watching quality content that you like at home, but also the experience of watching these movies in a theater, which is how we've always grown up watching them. So I think it's the experience that we create is equally important. And that's not just curation, but also just the surrounding environment around which we're watching the movie or even listening to music. Yeah, I think it's possible that if you've always had this goal of running a niche platform and previously you were a minnow right because you weren't one of the big players and it's all been about you know owning distribution and being global 
But I think what's happened now is is it is an interesting time if you're a niche service because you can reflect that culture more quickly. You can jump on trends. You can go a little bit county culture, counterculture, or be an antidote to that kind of algorithm world. And I think that's creating a lot of opportunities. I mean, Chris, do you feel that as well, or do you think that? This is something that's going to revert. I mean, a, a second part of that question, which we'll come on to and just finish this particular episode with the dis- discussion about what happens when we go back to what we used to call real life. But first of all, just on niches, Chris. Yeah, I agree. Because I think there are, I've seen a lot more niche, even just streaming services. Like you've got Quest from Quincy Jones that um, has been getting a lot of press recently. You've got Cobuzz for classical and jazz music as well. I think it's mostly been in that kind of space. But there's, I see no reason why it shouldn't emerge in a more, in more rock-orientated spaces, more um, whether it's to do with your personal identity, whether that's by your sexuality or your gender or your race. I know there could be some tricky ground there, but you know, we saw it happen with Parler like, as a social media platform in the States. You know, I, I think it's people are beginning to see that a lot of these platforms are pushing a certain, they have to push something as their kind of mainstream, uh, like agenda, for instance. Like there was that point where Drake was just everywhere on Spotify. Yeah, and it backfired, right? It did. It didn't do his brand any favors, which I think is interesting. Uh, and to some extent, it kind of takes us back full circle, which is, um, you know, either by, by accident or by design. We've kind of answered our own question because when it comes to quality over quantity, that is what a niche player can do. So, you know, Quobos has been around again for a long time, but as we kind of reevaluate that entertainment time, and make sure that time is special. Maybe it is listening to music in high definition. Maybe that's what we should be spending our extra 12% time on. Or with movie, you know, watching films that are more art house and less, you know, obviously commercial. They're certainly not, you know, your kind of usual blockbuster, blockbuster um, franchise. And even Sonos, you know, I got a Sonos only this year. It's been around for ages. They've launched a high definition radio service. So, it's interesting that there's still room if you work those niches. But like my last question here, because we've we could talk about this probably for a bit, for the next four hours, but people would genuinely would not have time to listen to that. When we go back to in real life, what is going to happen? Because everybody's desperate to get back. They want to travel. They want to go to gigs. They're going to go to cinema, theater, and and all of that. And probably they're going to have to commute back to work. So are we just going to explode? Because we just don't have enough time to fit in all the content that we've been consuming during the pandemic. Shristi, what do you think? I mean, I know I'm going to go to every single gig I can get my hands on, every single sporting event that even for sports that I don't watch at all. But that's that's going to get tiring very soon. Um, and I don't think we're all going to have the same working hours like we used to. So life in itself is going to be very different from what it was before. We're never going to go back to the same normal. So I think there's going to be a burst. But I think after that, it's going to be a a fair balance between um, the two. And I think it's just so much easier to watch content at home. Um, It's cheaper 
more importantly and convenient so i think um for a m- minute there maybe it's going to shake up everything but then we're still going to be streaming a lot of content going forward well you're not going to have time to cook though are you <laughs> <laughs> no i'm sure i'm going to find uh I mean, there are some things that you're going to do ir- irrespective of anything. That's because you're just passionate about them so much. And I've really upped my cooking game in the last one year. So now I can, what would take me three hours will now take me one hour. So I'm sure I can take that. <laughs> All right, Chris, when real life comes back on stream, what are you going to trade your, uh, what are you going to trade off? Oh, geez. Um, hopefully not going back to commuting. <laughs> I wouldn't want to trade off anything. I'm I'm quite stubborn to be honest with that. And I think I'll be able to even if I am commuting, I'll find a way to make music on a train or on a coach. I'll find a way to like keep discovering music more efficiently. And I guess that is the the biggest learning from the pandemic is that especially with creation, you can go through the cycle of like starting something and finishing something much quicker and you can accelerate that cycle with much more available knowledge now more quickly than ever before and i feel like a lot of content that i've been consuming has been getting shorter like i won't finish a film more often than not or i'll just be watching like a youtube video and that'll be about 10 minutes long for instance and so i don't think i'll compromise the spread or diversity of what i'm consuming but maybe just the duration and length of time spent on it will probably be where the trade off happens interesting so i feel like we've almost come up with some ideas and solutions in this one conversation here that if you're if you're a platform or a service then this is the time to kind of reflect culture uh, embrace diversity and get that content out there in a way that hasn't uh, reached people before and you'll find an audience that way if you're a creator you've got endless options to tell stories but if you're structured and, and creative about it then your story will get through i don't feel like we found the solution to um consumers actually so but maybe that's an idea for me i've always been a kind of walking recommendation engine so maybe i'll i'm gonna up the ante on that and just offer my services as a, as a kind of content troubleshooter to take these stressed out people who haven't got enough time to consume all the content they want and just give them some quality advice. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. That can uh, be the new consulting service. Yeah, I feel like it might not kind of, you know, generate the fees that I'd like but you know we'll see maybe I'll do it on behalf of um you know expensive uh, celebrities and, and business people around the world we'll see but anyway I hope that uh, you've enjoyed listening to commoditization of culture and that episode three will take this debate on further and solve more issues in the entertainment industries that we cover uh Shristi and Chris thanks very much and we'll see each other on a future podcast I hope Definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to keep up with all the latest episodes by subscribing to Media Research on your favourite podcast platform.